Dear friends in Christ, welcome to this podcast from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. All Saints is a loving, welcoming parish serving Southeast Portland for over a century. Our purpose is to celebrate God's love, seek and serve Christ in all persons, and go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. This week, please join us in welcoming special guest speaker Kara Meredith, author of The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Well, good morning. morning. You may be seated. Hi, my name is Kara Meredith. It is an honor to be here, a gift to be here with you today. Well, perhaps like you, uh, this week has felt like somewhat of a wild ride. A week ago, some of us, not all of us, I recognize, gathered together over chips and dips, chili and baked potatoes to watch a little sports ball game, a little match between the San Francisco 49ers and Taylor Swift, who in some circles is also known as the Kansas City Chiefs. Then on Wednesday, the liturgical calendar commenced. It collided smack dab with Hallmark's favorite holiday. As one friend, a Lutheran priest, remarked, today I will repeatedly call my husband and I will let him know that I love him and that he is going to die. (laughs) To which he replied, and I, my love, will send you to voicemail. My family also seemed to fluctuate between love and death, if we can call it that. My 11-year-old son woke up extra early to do his hair on Wednesday and to give his very first valentine, um, a box of chocolates that he bought for $14 at Target with his own money. I went to Ash Wednesday later that day to the service at church only to be told by my other son at school pickup, um, Mama, it looks like you have a little bit of marker or maybe some dirt on your forehead. Uh, Perhaps a little bit of Lenten education is in order for my family. But love and death, death and love. The two pair together, I suppose, more often than not, or at least more often than we care to realize. They, just, they don't just act as juxtapositions to one another. They aren't pitted against each other. They often exist as a pair. And I don't think it's all that different in this week's gospel reading as well. The passage in Luke, to, Luke 1 excuse me, is marked by sheer brevity. In six quick verses, Jesus arrives in Nazareth, is baptized in the Jordan, is affirmed by a booming voice from above, is driven into the wilderness for a grand total of 40 days, no sooner is then found back in Galilee to begin preaching the good news to anyone who will listen. Is love and death, death and love also found here? The time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe in the good news. He doesn't waste any time in getting straight to the point, which is to say, to himself. 
It's almost as if we sit on the rug in the Sunday school classroom once again. We sit on a rainbow floor rug. We munch on a handful of goldfish crackers. Who is God's son, the teacher asks. Jesus, the students reply. Who thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Jesus, my mom. Jesus, the students reply. What color is this banner I hold in my hands? Jesus, close enough. Jesus was always the answer, or at least to some of us, always the answer we thought we were supposed to give, thought we were supposed to provide in any given moment to the blue-haired lady who sat on a chair at the front of the rug. Perhaps it's not all that different in this passage when and as we focus on the person of Christ, on Jesus, whose path, whose ways, whose teachings, whose embrace was marked by love, on Jesus, whose death brings us to wholeness. The reality is that in some of these six verses, something has already happened. Something has been fulfilled. Something has come near to us. Our invitation then maybe is to refocus and trust in the good news. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We whisper this aloud on Sunday mornings. This, of course, is the easy answer. The Sunday school answer, one might say. So what are we to do when the good news doesn't always really feel like good news? When death seems to overwhelm love and the darkness of this last week in our personal lives and in the world around us overrides or at least feels like it overrides a message of love. I wonder if part of our invitation is to learn how to hold both love and death, especially over the next six weeks of Lent. Technically speaking, the Lenten season is often marked by reflection, repentance, fasting, abstinence, and acts of mercy. Some of us give up chocolate or refrain from alcohol. We stay off social media for 40 days. We refuse to eat meat. These, of course, are the common ones, at least according to Google. Not to be outlented, I once gave up elevators my sophomore year of college. I did live on the fourth floor of a dorm. It was a lot to walk up all those stairs, even if I didn't really know why I was doing what I was doing. But as one writer, a writer I might add who utterly delights in the season of Lent, says, Lent is a time when we realize our days are limited and we've made a mess of things. The hard truth of Lent, she says, is thus a blessing because it deconstructs our lives and tells us the truth. Lent helps us live in reality. Is it really a blessing? to deconstruct our lives and be told the truth? Is it really a good thing to be directed back to reality once again? It's always a funny thing for me to come back to Oregon. I grew up here, or at least a few miles down the road in Kaiser, Oregon, 97303. Although I have not lived here since I left for college, Oregon is still home to me. A fair amount of Oregonian pulses in my blood, or so I'd like to believe. I don't use an umbrella when it rains, because why? I recycle like my life depends on it, much to the chagrin of our local waste management company in Oakland, California. I believe boysenberry is a far superior berry than any other varietal. 
Returning to this, I think I heard an amen back there. Did I hear an Episcopalian amen from the back of the congregation? Boysenberries, no less. Remember that, Andrea. Returning to this place and to her people, which is to say you, comes with a fair amount of warmth, of love, of feeling like I'm back home in a place without need for explanation. But it's also a place that begs me live in reality. My parents are getting older. I am getting older. The invincibility I once felt as a 16-year-old who could do anything and believe anything, if she just believed enough, is now marked by calls to the knee doctor <coughs> and heating pads to my back. It's marked by conversation with my siblings and my parents, the reality of their aging bodies, a looming truth in the years ahead. It's found by wondering, when I go down the tubing slope at Ski Bowl like I did yesterday, if that bump is not just a bump, but an actual trip to the ER. <laughs> Didn't happen. Perhaps it's no mistake then that I share these words with you at the start of a season that begs us argue that death should be known, that dares us remember death in order that we also might affirm life so that we can live in the present of this life. Because sometimes, oftentimes, when we're confronted with our own mortality, our desires are reordered, our focus is narrowed. Whether we like it or not, we are offered new perspectives, and these perspectives beg us think about death. But they also offer us new ways to live and new ways to love. We say, I love you, more often than not. We drop off a casserole without being asked. We pick up the phone without a scheduled invitation. We shift our priorities. And as the surgeon notes in the book, Being Mortal, to being rather than doing, to giving rather than getting, to friendships rather than accomplishments, to family rather than work. We live perhaps as we were supposed to live all along. And I don't know about you, but if this is part of Lent's offering, part of Lent's invitation to us, then maybe we can show up and embrace this tension of love and death, death and love. Maybe we can pay attention to it all. As I looked over the sermon notes one last time this morning, I was reminded of a song that I sang in middle school of all places, but it was a song of love and death. It was a song, actually, that came from Song of Solomon. Maybe the choir knows this better than I do now. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your heart, for love is strong as death. Sing it with me, choir. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your heart, for love is strong as death. The song continues, but as I sat in my parents' living room this morning, Love is strong as death. Love is strong as death. We don't always want to think about death, and sometimes it feels easier to think about love, but sometimes 
the invitation is to hold both. Peace of God this week to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast offering from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. For more resources from All Saints or to support this or our many other outreach ministries, please visit allsaintspdx.org. To find out more about Kara, visit karameredith.com. That's C-A-R-A-M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H dot com.